Well, the title of the sermon is The Sovereign Reign of the Ancient of Days, and I'm going to be covering the first 18 verses of this chapter this week. We're going to save the remaining verses for next week, um, but boy, this is, this is just spectacular stuff. Uh, one of the things you'll see right off the bat is that we're not moving now in chronological order at all. In fact, last week's sermon happened long after this week's uh, chapter uh, took place. So we're going back in time, and uh, Daniel is going to recount a vision he received from the Lord. Uh, I'm titling this, A Vision for God's People. It It is truly a blessing for Daniel to receive a vision of his own now in this chapter as he records it. Let's read verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon... Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Okay, so here we have kind of this amazing change in in record where the previous visions concerned kings and other people, and Daniel was brought in to interpret the vision and dreams for them. This time, Daniel is having a vision that is a gift of God for him and for the people of God, okay? So a change there. We also note that Belshazzar is in his first year, which means we, we, we're, we're previous, as it were, to chapter 5 when the writing on the wall took place, and that very night Belshazzar was killed as the Medes and Persians invaded. So we're back really uh, flowing between chapters 4, where Nebuchadnezzar was powerfully, supernaturally humbled and saved by God, and chapter 5, where Belshazzar was judged and killed, okay? So we're in between that period of time, and just kind of put your, yourself in, in Daniel's shoes. Sometimes it's helpful to remember, he's a real guy. I mean, he has good days and bad days, ups and downs. And for Daniel, at this time in his life, the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, it would have been a very uh, discouraging period of Daniel's life. Certainly he's in exile. He will remain in exile his entire life, all the way past the 70-year mark. But there was a spectacular display of salvation that God accomplished in Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel was moved into a very lofty and prominent role, likely the most powerful man in the empire, aside from the king himself. So he goes from that, and then as, as Nebuchadnezzar is taken home to be with the Lord, The transition there was rough, and it basically left Daniel in a a no-man's land. And as as Belshazzar is taking reign, Daniel is kicked to the curb. The man has basically no role in Belshazzar's court, even to the point that when the handwriting of the wall takes place, he doesn't even know to look to Daniel. It's the queen mother who says to Belshazzar, hey, there's a guy who used to do this kind of thing. You should find him. Right? So Daniel, at this point, when the vision meets him, by the grace of God, is blessed by God at a time when he is largely forgotten and has been omitted from this Babylonian, now um, transition government, um, by a very godless king, a pagan man who is blaspheming the Lord and actively working to try to insult the God of Daniel. He wants nothing to do with Daniel. And so Daniel is forgotten, but not by God. You see see what he's doing here? He is blessing Daniel with a vision for his own. This is for you, Daniel. 
This is, this is a vision that's yours for God's people. And so he records that, and we have that in Daniel 7. Now, this is the last chapter that is written in Aramaic. Daniel chapter 8, we go back to Hebrew. Daniel chapter 7 is also significant because Jesus loved this chapter in a special way. You see Jesus referencing Daniel 7 again and again and again. We see Daniel 7 show up throughout the book of Revelation. It is a monumental chapter, and so we're going to jump in and, and dig together in it. This is, believe it or not, and you'll, you'll be scratching your head as how, how this is truly a vision of hope, but it is. It is a vision of hope. It's just that it begins with what I'm calling a beastly backdrop, a beastly backdrop. When you want to highlight a diamond, you take black velvet and you put it against the backdrop so, so the diamond shines and when the light hits it, you see the clarity and the beauty of the diamond. This dream is like that. It's got a dark backdrop. Let's, let's dig in here and look at these, these beasts. Daniel declared, verse 2, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. Okay, now just pause here. Anytime in the scriptures you see a, a, a sea that is stirred up, that is angry, the waves are thrashing and, and moving you know that, that in this culture, back in the day, and certainly in the ancient Near East as well, a lot of the literature that's, that's uh, recorded, extra canonical literature, the same thing. The sea is viewed as a place of chaos, of danger, uh, of rebellion even. And so out of the great sea, the Lord, for the four winds from the corners of the earth, is stirring up these four monsters of the deep, as it were. And this rebellion and chaos, it's kind of like, if you can picture this, this imagery, the sea of sin is bringing forth these beasts, these kings and kingdoms, okay? Now, I can't help but note um, how Jesus, when he said, peace, be still, you've you got to feel that. In its cultural context, it was more than just water obeying his word. It was Jesus proclaiming in that moment I am sovereign over rebellion, chaos, evil. With a word, I can cause it to cease. And so that's happening. And I was struck, even as we read the call to worship today, Ryan was reading from Revelation 5. The sea creatures join in proclaiming the worthiness of the Lamb and worshiping the Lamb. That's awesome. As if to say... Where is the extent, where's the line that's drawn on how glorious and how redemptive is his work? Even the sea will proclaim his glory. Revelation, when things are finished and his glory is complete, displayed and known and proclaimed around the world and even under the sea. So, the first beast, let's hear this description. The first was like a lion. That had eagle's wings. Now, kids, have you ever seen a lion with eagle's wings? Me, you have? Wow. You've been, you've been drawing some stuff? Have you, have you been studying this already? Oh, that's what I thought. Okay. Well, at the zoo, I've never seen a, a, a lion with eagle's wings. But listen how this goes. As I looked, the wings, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. 
and the mind of a man was given to it. Now, immediately, as we hear this first beast described, it's like, this sounds familiar. I feel like I kind of have heard this before. Well, you have in Daniel chapter 4, right? Daniel 2 is where we see the image of this, um, the, these kingdoms, and God declares to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. It's you, right? Babylon, the empire. And, and then he is humbled in chapter 4, humbled to be what? A veritable cow for seven years, to the ground, as it were. At the end of those seven years, he is lifted up from the ground, given a renewed mind, and proclaimed the glory of God. So, I think it's likely here that this is a reference back to, Dan, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel experienced. So, there's, there's some framework here that is looking backward, and uh, a lot of commentators agree. Now, can I say that dogmatically? Not Totally. I, I think it's likely that there's a look back, but there may be also a look forward in these things. We don't know the full extent. This is metaphorical, apocalyptic language. And so it's very foggy to know in detail all of the exact things that this means. Some people take it a little too far when they try to dig out all the tiny little details. And I feel like that isn't here in the text. And it's not even given in its interpretation in the letter half. So this is the first beast that comes out. The second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs, not four, not five, three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise and devour much flesh. Okay, so the bear lifted up on one side. Think like grizzly, you know, lifted up maybe with the claws out, ready to swipe and knock your head off, that kind of thing. Why is he raised up? Well, I think we're likely talking here about the Medo-Persian invasion and the empire that would come after Babylon. Now, at the point that this was given, that had yet to take place, right? So Daniel is seen in anticipation of what, what is to come, just like the statue in Daniel 2, the second empire was uh, made of silver and strong coming in. Medo-Persia comes in, and notice the, the bear the raised up on one side, it's likely that Darius was the lower side, even though he came and was stronger, the Medes were stronger on the front end, Cyrus grew greater, and so there's you know, speculation as to maybe it's Cyrus that's the reason that one side is raised higher than the other. The three ribs likely refer to the Medo-Persian conquest and victories over three significant parts of uh, their, their opposition. So again, how detailed, how dogmatic, I don't know, but I'm pretty inclined to think we're talking the same sequence we saw in Daniel 2. We see Babylon, we see Medo-Persia, which would make the next beast likely Greece. Okay, let's see if it fits. Well, after this I looked and behold another. So another beast comes out like a leopard. Well, how, what describes a leopard? They're fast. They're fast. This one had four wings, which means... If a leopard is fast without wings, add four wings to it. This thing can cruise. It's super fast. The wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads. Okay? Now, I'm going to ask you guys again. Have you ever seen a four-headed leopard? Anyone here? No? Okay. I'd be worried if you said yes. A four-headed leopard and dominion was given to it. Now, just, just note that. It doesn't say dominion was t- 
taken. It says dominion was given to it. Well, by whom? By the sovereign. That's, that's the note here that we've got to catch as we move through these. Alexander the Great is likely in view here. His rapid, successful campaign of dominance that reached to the end of the earth is likely in view. When Alexander the Great finished his work, he was depressed. There was no land to conquer left. And when he died, he left his empire in the hands of his four generals. So, kind of fits. The four-headed leopard that moved quickly to conquer the Greek empire is likely in view. Now again, when Daniel's receiving this, that hasn't happened. We're looking back with historical context to see something that God was giving as a gift to Daniel. Now, this is when it gets really weird, okay? Buckle up. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Now, we learn later on that the feet were like claws and, and, and strong, such that they were like bronze claws, stamping out anything that was left. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. Note this. There's no animal descriptor here. This is just, he doesn't even, like, he, if he had been to the zoo, he's like, there's nothing there that's like this, okay? I don't know how to, how to describe it. It's just scary and intense. And then he says this, and this is when we move, I think, from backward to forward, backward for us to forward for us. For Daniel, this was still forward. Then he says this, it was different from all the beasts, that were before it, it had ten horns. Ten horns. So, imagination is to be employed in passages like this. The Lord intends that we, that we try to imagine this, and I like when artists do their best on this, and so here's an artist, an artist you know, rendition, as it were, of the four beasts. Here's the stirred waters. They're coming out of the chaos and the rebellion, the sea of sinful humanity, raised up for God's purpose, Scary, intense. So you've got the four-headed leopard, and then this was the fourth beast here. Look at the ten horns coming off. You see the, horn, uh, the little hole in the middle of his forehead? We're going to get to that. There's nothing there yet, but there will be. A little horn is coming. Okay, And then the lion and the bear. So you see these in view, and you've got to stop and say, okay, What's going on here? If you're Daniel and you're having a dream like this, it's a nightmare. This isn't the kind of dream that you wake up and you're like, oh, that would be awesome. No, this is the kind of dream you're like, yikes, what is that, Lord? What is happening here? Well, one of the things that we know that's true about prophecy, about apocalyptic literature in general, is that oftentimes the vision of what the prophet is given is kind of a mountain peak view that is many times separated by massive amounts of, 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 uh, of property and land to cover in between the peaks of fulfillment, okay? So as you consider the Roman Empire, which was the feet made of iron and mixed with clay, remember that in, the, in chapter 2? The Roman Empire is probably in view, but more than that, I think there's, there's, there's a, a longer fulfillment that's being mingled in here 
by the vision from the Lord that speaks to all the way to the end. Talking Antichrist end in view. So, whether you're in Isaiah, whether you're in Daniel, whether you're in Ezekiel, whether you're in the book of Revelation, you find this again and again. Things look connected and immediately connected when they're actually spanning 2,000 or plus years in between events, okay? And a lot of times the prophets are not distinguishing all of those moments of prophetic fulfillment. They see them at once. So it's good for us. It's one of the things I really appreciate about Bible school when they taught us this, and it helps when you're reading your Bible to say, well, the lion is not laying with the lamb yet, right? So that's the not yet. But there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is enthroned. That's the already, right? So you have some things taking place in Daniel that come together for us in that way. You'll see what I mean here in this next verse. As I considered the horns, behold, there came up from them another horn, a little one. I love that. I love it. It's a little horn, right? Which, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. This is a devastatingly violent takeover. The horns are likely rulers and kings or kingdoms. And this little horn comes up. And as he comes up, he rips by the roots three of these leaders and, and kicks them out and takes their place, supplants these leaders in power. Behold, in this horn were eyes. I'm thinking in my mind, beady little eyes, evil little beady eyes, the, like the eyes of a man, and, and a mouth speaking great in the ESV or in other translations, boastful, New American Standard, or uh, what is it, uh, New King James, arrogant, something like that. So you, you see this little horn with eyes of a man and a boastful mouth. Now again, you're like, okay, um, Lord, what, what does this mean? Because in my mind, I can kind of see this little talking horn, but what does it mean? What are we talking about here? I believe, based upon other scriptures that we're referencing here, what I'm calling the little horn with a big mouth. It's a little horn with a big mouth. It just won't shut up. And we're talking about none other than the Antichrist. The one prophesied and ordained to come who will lead astray the nations in worship of himself and in blaspheming the name of God and going after the people of God that carry his name to their death. As many as possible, he will kill. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time next week building this out more on the remaining verses that we have in Daniel and then certainly also in the book of Revelation. A parallel chapter to Daniel 7 in Revelation is chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. So let me just read uh, uh, so that you see this connection. The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed. Now, note these words in your Bible. Given given, allowed to, sovereign language of God. God is behind the scenes giving permission, orchestrating these things as he has planned. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. You know how long that is? That's three and a half years. We're talking tribulation, end times, tribulation. This is a three and a half year release 
of the little horn with a big mouth, and it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven, the saints. He hates us. He hates everything we represent, and He hates God. He hates the glory of God, and He blasphemes. And God allows this little horn with a big mouth to flourish and succeed for three and a half years in particular. Okay, so more on that next week. But today, you just have to stop here and be like, okay, so if you're Daniel at this point, right? <laughs> you're Daniel, and you're like, okay, uh, this is a vision of hope. I'm struggling here. First of all, what in the world's going on? Second of all, how is this encouraging me? How is this to be reassuring in the midst of these things? To sum it up, you can say it this way. These beasts represent what I believe are the kingdoms of men. Four kings we're going to see. There are four kings raised up sovereignly by God, orchestrating as He raises nations and absolutely crushes nations. He is sovereign over them all. But these kingdoms that are raised up are intimidating. They are evil. They are corrupt. They are violent, arrogant. And they, my friends, are temporary. They are temporary. Now, are we only talking about four kingdoms? I don't believe so. I believe that the four kingdoms being referenced are pointers to kingdoms that continue to come out of the sea of sin. Kingdoms that we look around today and see the, the very same kind of corruption, the same kind of evil, the same kind of intimidation. That may look different in our day, but it's still fallen and it's still temporary. You know how many people in Hitler's day were convinced that he was the Antichrist? It's not hard to imagine. I mean, just think. Or Mussolini, or Stalin. I mean, you go down, the, there's a long line of rulers who have done things ruthlessly. What is true of those men? The same that's true of these men. God raised them up. God put them down. He was sovereign over all of it and accomplishing His purpose in this fallen, evil world of darkness. One of the things that reminds me is that the United States is not permanent. Okay, It's good for us to know this. We are a blip on the radar screen of history. We've, we've barely existed for any significant length of time. And that is not a guarantee. right? So, as we approach yet another election cycle... I want to encourage you, participate and vote, shine. One of the ways we shine our light in this fallen land is at the polls and in the voting booth and speaking forward what is good and right and true to benefit human flourishing in this day. But know this, we don't put our hope there. We will not bring a political utopia. It hasn't happened and it will not happen in that way. There is no kingdom that will bring or usher in an age of righteousness in itself. It is intimidating. It will be evil. It will be corrupt. You know it will. It will be violent. It will be arrogant. And it is always in this land temporary. Labor, my friends, for the kingdom that has no end. 
Put your hope there. If you want to invest your life, then pour yourself into the proclamation of the gospel that moves people from the wrath of a righteous God and being punished by Him forever in the fires of hell into a kingdom that will never end. That is true flourishing. That is true eternal lasting joy and life. We serve a king. His name is Jesus. We have a kingdom that will never end. And while we live in this world, we want to be faithful and shine, but we know these kingdoms are fading. And Daniel, think of this man. He served under all these different men. They came and they went. And there's Daniel. And he's still doing what he's doing, honoring the sovereign God who is most high above all and doing what he can to bless and point. Bless and point. Let me bless and point. Show you what matters most. That's our job. Daniel's such a good example for us of what it looks like to be faithful Christians in the land that God has placed us to be. There is only one kingdom that is everlasting and eternal. It is the kingdom of God. So is that it? Is that what we're supposed to take away? I mean, we've got four beasts coming out of sea of sin. It's a mess. It's dark. It's evil. Will, will evil triumph? Has God given up on us? Now, how easy would it be to conclude that when you are in a pagan foreign land for 70 years of exile? Oh, how dark it is. Or if you're a believer in North Korea or China, right? I mean, put yourself in the persecuted church's shoes and ask, how easy would it be to say, Lord, what is happening? Why all the darkness? Have things just spun out of his control? Friends, it's just a beastly backdrop to highlight the glory of the coming king. Now watch, the, this, is, this is setting up the moment we've been waiting for. In the middle of this chapter is spectacular revelation of our God. Let's move into it. The Ancient of Days sits in judgment. That's the key word here. Note this. He sits in judgment. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. What does that mean? It means that he is in absolute control. He takes his seat in the face of all of these things. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. For those of you who have gray hair in here, rejoice, right? It's a taste of glory. Again, this is metaphorical imagery here. We see this. This means something, right? His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire, and a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. There's a lot of words here that imply things for us, that point to us. Number one is this title. Think of this, the Ancient of Days. You know that this is the only chapter in the Bible where this comes? Nowhere else in the Bible is this title used of God. This chapter alone. The Ancient of Days. This is God the Father in all of His glory. He takes a seat, which means He is eternal ancient of days. He has no beginning. He has always existed, will always exist. There is no change or turning in Him. He is God, and all that exists comes ultimately from Him. He created all that is through His Son, Jesus. 
That is why anything exists but God. There is only one God. He is eternal and He is sovereign. When you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when a situation is unfolding, do you find yourself sitting back and kicking your feet up? Oh man, I'm so stressed. No, that's the opposite. When we're stressed, we're up on our feet. We're walking around, we're pacing. Oh man, what are we going to do? Look at our God. He is sovereign. And when he is about to dispense judgment, he is seated. This is not hard for our God. He is not concerned. He is not at, at, at worry that there is somehow any threat to his plan. He sits down to destroy the greatest enemy of his people. He is perfect in righteousness. This white hair, this, this, this imagery that's being used here shows his perfections. He is holy, holy, holy. Fiery judgment. Everywhere you look, this throne, it's a throne made of fire. Now, for us to sit on that, ouch, right? That's consuming. We, we couldn't do it. But God is an all-consuming fire. He is filled with judgment for those who have transgressed His ways and, and railed against His law and committed offense, treason against His character and against His people. This is a vision of our God. We see the same vision play out in Revelation chapter 4, the throne room of heaven. You see these thrones laid out. There's 24 elders. They sit in the court. Now, see how this goes on. Thousands, a thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. We're in a courtroom, the courtroom of heaven. And books were opened. The books were opened. So, does this ancient of days have an army? <laughs> you could say that. As Ryan was reading, myriads upon myriads. The number is hard to even count. Again, don't just multiply 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million, I'm thinking. Quick math. It's more than that, right? The point is, it's, it's almost beyond number that minister. And is God a big deal? The answer from this passage is absolutely He is. He is a big deal. And the court is in session. The books are open. What are these books? The books are those books that contain the record of every sin, every offense committed against God, cosmic treason, logged every day, every single sin logged and kept. For those who have been railing against Him, who have not found shelter in the finished work of Christ on the cross, they have been storing up wrath as the logs are categorized day after day. Every offense, every sin logged. Accusations to be brought. This little horn is in view. Now, you ever watch that, that commercial where the guy has the stain on his shirt and he goes into the interview and the stain is talking? He's like, hey, look at me. Look at me. Don't listen to him. Look at me. You know? I love that commercial. You've got to look that up if you haven't seen it. It's hilarious. This is kind of what happens with this little horn. 
Think of Daniel. He is in this vision. The courtroom of heaven, the beauty of God, the glory of the ancient of days has him captivated. And then, listen to what he writes next. I looked then, because of the sound of this great or boastful words that the horn was speaking. He won't be quiet. He's just in in my ear. He's just distracting. He's just shouting. And then what happens? This is, this is the moment we've been waiting for. And friends, you just got to feel this. This little horn has slaughtered God's people. He has committed massive offense. He is evil to the core. And from the seated position, Daniel records, as I looked, the beast was killed. Its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Now, if heaven witnessed this, what would take place in heaven? A yawn, you think? No. Rejoicing. Let's try it. Let's try it, okay? All right, let's, here we are. We're Daniel. We're all, we're all here. God is seated. The Ancient of Days kills the beast. The body is given over to be burned with fire. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? One, two, three. That's what it, this is a, this is a victory, a celebration. This moment, it just explodes the glory and worship of heaven. We're going to see this more next week. Oh, the backdrop of, of pain, heartache, and loss, and struggle, and the blood of the martyrs. God kills the beast. While seated. <laughs> for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What that means, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know. Some say it's looking back to past kingdoms. Some say it's looking forward to coming kingdoms that are allowed to remain. And then at the end, finally judged, right? Maybe the sheep and the goats at the very end. Suffice to say, there is one sovereign. He is in his throne, seated, and he is Lord over all, the ancient of days. Hmm. Slain the boastful beast, the stain, as it were, is dealt with, decisively and finally. Now the supremacy of the Son of Man, this just gets better. It just gets better. Look at the next verses. The supremacy of the Son of Man. Verse 13 and I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. One like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not uh, pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. There's only one king that can say that. That is true of only one kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And this one, like a son of man, comes. Now, this is beautiful language. You know, Jesus' favorite word to refer to himself was son of man. The son of man. Over and over and over, he employed the language of Daniel 7 to reveal it's me. I'm the one. 
like a son of man. It's beautiful language here. We see the hypostatic union. That's what theologians refer to this as. It is the, the divinity and humanity of Christ, the, the beauty of the God-man coming together. See, he comes with the clouds of heaven. That's divine language. No one comes with the clouds of heaven unless they are God. And at the same time, he comes as one like a son of man. So there is a likeness here that meets Godness here, and it is unique. It is beautiful. Listen to how John describes it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, Jesus the Son. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, we're talking about not just someone who is created or something by God. No, this is God Himself. Trinitarian language, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Word was with God and the Word was God. Then you skip down to verse 14 and you, and you read this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The second member of the Godhead added humanity to His deity eternally. For the purpose that God had assigned to him, which was to identify with us in our weakness and lay his life down with perfect obedience to take upon himself the sins of all who look to him by faith and pay them in full and then be buried and after three days raised in victory so that we could be forgiven all to the glory of God. Philippians 2 records the exaltation of this. Verse 9, therefore God also highly exalted him, right? Here's the language, the presentation, and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, sovereign, to the glory of the Ancient of Days. That's what we have happening here. Spectacular. It is a universal and everlasting dominion. There is no place where this dominion is not. There's no limit to the reach of it. It goes to the ends of the universe. Every angel, whether fallen or faithful, every person, whether redeemed or railing against him, everyone will acknowledge. He is Lord. Every knee will bow. Forever. His dominion lasts. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said in Matthew 17, the Son of Man, Son of Man, that's Daniel 7, friends. It's Daniel 7. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. That's just one of many references to Daniel 7 where Jesus is saying, it's me, it's me. This is the work that I've been given by the Ancient of Days. Here I come. I'm going to bring salvation. This is the kingdom. It's happening right here. It's being inaugurated. John 3, 35 to 36. I love these verses. The Father, oh, the Ancient of Days, loves the Son and has given all things, that is dominion, into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. How do you enter into the kingdom? This everlasting kingdom. There is one way. Trust in the king. 
believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever does not obey, look at the synonymous words here, belief is, is on par with obedience and submission. So if you reject the Son, you are disobeying. You are, you're committing the sin, as it were, that is unforgivable. The rejection of the Son of God means you are damned. And if you continue in that rejection, you are damned eternally. And the wrath of God remains upon you. Fire will come for you. That's not, we're not playing games. This isn't just a fun day in history. No, this is real. This is today. And this is the days that are to come. Now we'll close with these verses. One of the things I love about Daniel is he's honest. <laughs> when, when he doesn't understand, when he's struggling, he just says it. That's good. We should be like that too. God loves it when we're honest. We need to be respectful when we're in prayer with him. Like, be, Make sure you're respectful of who he is. But be honest with him when you're struggling. The everlasting kingdom of God. Listen to these words. As for me, Daniel says, my spirit was anxious. And I, the visions of my head alarmed me. He is, he is like, what in the world do I do with this? It's scary. And so he approaches one of those who stood there. He's still in the vision. And he's like, Go to, goes to this angel. And he says, what is the truth? What's going on here? What's the truth concerning this? Listen to how the response comes. This is a great summary of what we just studied. How do you sum it up? Well, the history of the world. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. He said, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. And then just to make sure we're clear on how long, he adds, forever and ever. There is one kingdom that reigns supreme, and the king has supremacy over every earthly, fallen, temporal, evil, boastful king. There is a long line of kings that will continue until the king takes his kingdom and brings it to pass. The beast will be slain. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. He's going to do it. Hmm. So you could say it this way. It's bad. It's going to get worse. Right? This is true for us too. It's bad. It's dark out there. But friends, it'll get worse. But the Ancient of Days is sovereign. He is sovereign. Why is that such a comfort? Well, he's in control. He's bringing this to pass. He is not a passive observer. God isn't just taking notes, being like, oh, look at that. That's a beast. Well, I didn't see that coming. No, no he is doing it. History is the work of God. That's what is happening. And what is to come is at his hand. He's bringing it to pass. And his king is enthroned, and his kingdom is forever. And the future is bright for all who believe in Jesus Christ, the king. So, what might we face in the days ahead? Well, dark days, right? And we, we need to remember that. We, there, there's a certain somber reality that we need to have. We need to be sharp, pay attention, be alert, be on guard. The days are evil, my friends, but there is coming a day when evil will be vanquished. And the Ancient of Days and his king will be 
in view for us in all glory and worship forever. Our response this morning, listen to the words of John. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. God gave us eternal life, and and, and this life is in His Son. The life, that eternal life, the life that never ends, the moment you receive it, it's, it's eternal. It's in His Son. Whoever has the Son, that is, whoever believes in the Son, has life. You have it. You not will have it. You have it today, right now. Whoever does not have the Son, whoever has rejected the Son or refused to repent and come to the Son and look to the Son in faith to be Savior and Lord, if you do not have the Son, then you don't have that life. And the wrath of God remains upon you. Note this. I mean, fire will flow from the throne and you will be consumed in fire forever under the wrath of God. So know this, the call of the gospel, the whole point for this church to be here is the proclamation and worship of this king. We are here to declare there's hope for people like us. Wrath storers, sinners and rebels, we can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. And then John adds this, I write these things to you who believe, to believers. I want you to know something. I want you to know that you can know that you have eternal life today. Do you know that? Are you confident that if, if the last trumpet sounded, that you would be caught up in the air to meet your king? Saved? You can know that today. You can be 100% confident today because of the promises of God. It all focuses on Jesus. It all focuses there. I would encourage you, if, if you have not bent your knee before this king Today's the day. Turn from your sins. Run to him. Lord, I I turn away from sin. I'm sick of rebellion and sin. I turn from that and I turn to you. I need salvation. Please save me. Jesus, be my king and my savior. Teach me how to live. Show me what it means to walk in obedience with you. Bring life eternal to me by faith. You could say it this way for all who believe. Though the night is dark, the sun is coming. Though the night is dark, the sun is coming. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for chapters like this. We we need your help as we study these things, Lord. But thank you for the beauty and the glory, even for the black backdrop of beastly fears and, and, and failures of men and evil and, and corruption and kingdoms that are just fleeting. We thank you for a, a light that shines brighter than it all. We thank you for bringing us out of the darkness. Lord, once we were darkness, but now because of Christ, we are light. The accomplishment of you in saving us, we glory in you. We thank you for that, oh God. We thank you for the encouragement, even in these things, that though it will be dark and it gets darker, there are bright days ahead, and we are yours eternally. There is nothing that can change that. No one can snatch us out of your hand. Oh, God, we praise you. Our ancient of days, who has his king enthroned on high, we worship you and we delight in you today, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, our King. We pray, amen.